words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So when I was listening to a book yesterday about interfaith stuff, uh, I came across this quote and I thought, hmm, that's, that's kind of what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. So I had to hunt around for it this morning and found this little thing. So Alistair McIntyre, Alistair McIntyre is, uh, is a philosopher, was a philosopher, uh, quite a recent one as you can tell, and he said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? We understand ourselves and our, and our lives through the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and how we came to be here. And we tell those stories all the time. Most of the time, we're not even aware of it. But they're there. Uh, and Advent is a time to reflect on those stories. Advent is a time to think about the stories that shape us and where the Jesus story fits in all of that. Today we heard about John the Baptist, as we do every second Sunday in Advent. He's always there. And because we're in year 8, we get to hear about him from Matthew. So we get Matthew's version of, of John the Baptist. And that bit about eating locusts and honey and camel's hair and leather belts, that was just to show that he was an Elijah figure. So it's, he may have done all those things, but it was a clear thing. He is Elijah. We'll come back to why that's important in a, in, in a moment. On Tuesday when we read this reading, we had uh, quite an interesting conversation actually. Um, there were some who really didn't like John. He came across as an old-time Christian preacher uh, trying to scare people into heaven. And they weren't up for that. They didn't like that kind of preaching. Uh, and, and one of them wondered what had scared people so much that they went out to hear him and to be baptised by him. Which was surprising for me, because I, I mean, I can understand why people would say that, but I wasn't sure that that's what John was on about, for me, anyway. And that I wasn't sure that's why people were going there. And I wondered, as I thought about that, what was John trying to do as he stood in the wilderness, preached repentance, and baptised people? He was clearly within the Jesus story, preparing people. Now, some of that's Christian propaganda. The disciples of John lasted quite a long time after John's death, and they weren't at all sure about Jesus. Uh, but the Christians clearly saw John as the forerunner to Jesus and the one who prepared the way. So they tell the story in a way that makes it clear that John was the forerunner. So what was in the Jesus story, John preparing for? What kind of Messiah or Christ or anointed one was he looking for? Or, as one of the commentators I read asked, why does God send a Messiah? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? Well, 
I think we should have a little conversation about that. So I invite you to turn around to your neighbours for about a minute. And why do you think God sent a Messiah? You've got a minute to have a chat. Where are you going? Find someone to sit with, have a conversation. So what did you think? What were some of your answers? As a bridge to God? Yep. I could then ask you to, to explain what that means, but yep, we'll leave that as it is for now. Any other answers? The human face to God. The human face to God. Yeah. So remind us, as somebody said this morning at 8 o'clock, who God is, and through that to remind us who we are as people made in the image of God. It's a bit of Augustinian theology there. Any others? Those are two good answers. Well, just stay where you are. There'll be more. Well, John is a Jew. And like we keep forgetting this. These guys were all Jews. They operated in a Jewish framework. Uh, how they saw the world and how they operated was within Judaism at the time. Uh, even the Gospel writers, they were Jews. They wrote out of a Jewish framework. But John definitely came out of the Jewish framework. If you believe Luke... He should have been in the temple, being a priest. So not, not out there in the wilderness. So I wondered, I wondered, what does the Messiah mean in Judaism? Like we know what Messiah means. And we just kind of lay that on to what Jews think, and I've often had conversations with people who said, well, I don't understand why the Jews didn't get it. It was pretty obvious. Well, maybe, because Jesus wasn't who they were looking for. So who might they be still looking for? So, it's a nice picture. Uh, so I went to the BBC, because that's where you should always go to look for things on the internet. That's what came up first on Google, and it seemed quite, res quite respectable. So they say that in the traditional Jewish thought, the Messiah will come to earth to bring a time of perfect peace and prosperity called the Messianic Age. So, not about getting into heaven at all, it's about what happens here on earth. According to the Torah, the Messiah will be a male descendant of the Jewish King David. So, both Matthew and Luke spend a lot of time explaining how Jesus is related, is a descendant of David. He will be human. He will have a human birth with human parents. He will be a perfect teacher of God's law, a great political leader, inspirational and a good judge. Now they see that he will be able to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He will be a ruler over humanity, but he will rule with kindness. He will be the bringer of peace in the world and able to unite humanity. Now there is some debate about when the Messiah will come. For some, the time is set by God and it will happen no matter what's happening. For some, the Messiah will come when humanity is most in need and for the people of 
Palestine during Roman rule, it felt like a really good time for the Messiah to come then. So Jesus wasn't the only one, the only Messiah to spring up. There were others as well. The others were a little more militaristic and they all ended in death for them and lots of other people. But there are some, and uh, when we did our religious diversity courses, Todd Nakowitz, who's the, uh, who was teaching those, this is the understanding of Judaism he has, uh, the Messiah will come when we are proven worthy of him through our own behaviour. When God's peace and justice is established on earth, then the Messiah will come. Well, you can understand why Jews don't think the Messiah hasn't come yet. Because there isn't sometimes a lot of peace and justice around. The Jewish Messiah is about establishing the reign of God here on earth. What Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, what Luke calls the kingdom of God, what we pray for every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what we read about when we read the description in Isaiah 11, that has become a description of the Messianic age, when the Messiah comes. When all people are reconciled, and all people are reconciled with creation, that is the story by which Jesus, well, that's the story that shaped Jesus and what he thought he was about in many ways. And you can see that in his teaching and what he did with people. And it is the story that we find ourselves in. Going back to the original quote. Well, in light of that, how do we read John's message of repentance and preparation. Those are both, despite what Busted Halo said about repentance, themes of Advent. Not as significant themes, particularly repentance, as in Lent, but still a theme of Advent. The heart of John's message was repentance and being prepared. So, what is repentance? What are we talking about when we talk about that word? Well, I've talked about repentance a lot, um, but I'm going to talk about it some more. So, again, John was a Jew, so he was coming out of a Jewish framework. And starting with the Hebrew, the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew for repentance, which is translated as repentance, is the word shuv, which simply means to turn. And that word is used 1,058 times in the Old Testament. So if you're in a pub quiz team, remember that because that could come up. How many times is the word shuv used in the Old Testament? Sounds like the kind of stuff they'll just put in there. So it means turn, either literally to change direction or to return. But it is also used as a metaphor for a radical change of lifestyle and behaviour. It was never used as simply a change of intention. It was always used in terms of behaviour and lifestyle. The constant refrain of the prophets, then, is a calling of Israel to turn, shuv, repent, from their idolatry and their ways that led to impoverishment and alienation 
and to return, Shuv, to their God and the ways of God's justice and peace. So there's Shuv twice in that one line, turning. Within the Christian context, the word that we translate as repent is metanoia, which simply means, as I've said many times, bigger mind. One of the commentators that I've quoted in the past, uh, Matt Skinner, says that repentance is a radically transformed way of perceiving the world and comprehending God's place in it. A radically transformed way of perceiving the world and comprehending God's place in it. A bigger mind. Another commentator, Stan Saunders, says... Repentance is a perpetual state of readiness to challenge our commonplaces, the myths we live by, the stories we live by, which produce not the fruit of repentance, but the practices of alienation and violence we too easily take for granted. He's writing from an American context, and so there are all sorts of stories conflicting there, but we too have stories that we understand our place in this country by, we understand our history by, and repentance, if you, if you take Matt and Stan seriously, says, well, maybe repentance is having a look at those stories and thinking about them. Thinking about, do they produce the fruits of the kind of thing that God is after, or do they support practices of alienation and violence? Our country at the moment is actually going through a time of re-examining some of our commonplaces, our myths, our stories that we have lived by for a long time. They're up for debate and people don't like that, do they? People are uncomfortable with that. They liked things as they work, we just leave those alone. It is difficult to have our assumptions about our story, our place being questioned. Those stories that we use to make things, sense of things, they are now being examined and sometimes, by some people, found wanting. And different stories are being offered in their place. The question for us as Christians is, where does the story of Jesus fit in this? Which of those stories do we place first? The story of Jesus? All the stories we make sense of our life here in New Zealand by. That's what repentance is about. And I think it's exactly what John was doing standing in the wilderness by the Jordan, preaching repentance and baptising people. John is not asking for people to be morally good. He is baptising them to again be the people of God. He is enlisting, as several commentators said, he is enlisting people to live God's justice, God's shalom, God's wholeness, God's completeness, God's peace for all people. That's what he would call wheat. And he is inviting them to see somehow some of the stories that they tell about themselves, how they have led them to take part in systems that have brought violence and poverty and exclusion and death, what he would call chaff, which gets put on the rubbish fire. 
When we read fire in the New Testament, because we kind of have this idea of hell, we often read those as being about hell, but actually most of the time they weren't about hell. They were just about the rubbish fire. So if you go to Jerusalem and uh, you stand on the walls at one point, you look out on Gehenna. Uh, and Gehenna was where the rubbish fire was. And it burnt all the time. Perpetual, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And all the rubbish was dumped on there. Animal carcasses were dumped on there. Human carcasses on occasion were dumped on there. It was just a perpetual rubbish fire. And every little town had their rubbish fires. So here, John is saying the chaff will be put on one of those perpetual fires. So what stories about ourselves are we being invited to turn away from, to repent of? And what are we preparing for? What are we preparing to turn to this Advent and Christmas? Well, a significant part of all of this in this reading is what do people choose to base their identity on? And there are a whole lot of competing stories, even in John's time. And so there are a number of people who would suggest that it was no accident that John was in the wilderness. Why? Because the wilderness offered competing stories. So there were stories of the temple and how the temple was a symbol of God's presence and permanence and faithfulness. And there were stories of kingship, particularly David's kingship, and a longing for a restoration of David's kingship, with all the failings that David had. That's where the Messianic age comes from, a return to David. But there were other stories that provided an understanding of who the Hebrew people are. And they are all in the wilderness. The wilderness is where Abraham and God made their covenant. That through God's blessings, Abraham's descendants would be blessed to be a blessing to all people and all creation. And the wilderness is where the people of God were taken by God out of Egypt, out of slavery, rescued, <coughs> rescued from Pharaoh. And the wilderness became the place where they learnt what it meant to be the people of God and to trust God's faithfulness. And the wilderness was also where they learnt of their responsibility, once they had the promised land, to live in a way that allowed God to use them to bring God's justice and peace to the world. It wasn't just about being a blessing, it was also the responsibility of that. And the wilderness was where they journeyed through, when they forgot who they were as the people of God, and when their kings had abandoned the ways of God and had embraced the ways of all the other territories, Solomon enslaved his own people and other people. Solomon, the great king, abandoned the way of God and reintroduced slavery, enslaving his own people. He embraced the ways of other people, not the ways of God. And that destroyed the United Tribes. And that practice of 
following other ways of being king because that's how you were a king because those were the stories they followed carried on. And the result was corruption and impoverishment and alienation and violence. And so they thought about that as they were taken in exile, to exile, through the wilderness. And the wilderness was where the voice came to prepare. Which John quotes, well not John quotes, but Matthew uses to describe John. A voice coming out of the coming out of the wilderness during the exile, reminding the people of God, reminding them of God's trustworthy commitment to the covenant, their, God's faithfulness to the covenant and to them, with the promise that God would bring them back to begin again the work of being the people of God, with the responsibility to be the means by which God brought peace, shalom. Wholeness, completeness to all creation. Being in the wilderness, one way of understanding the story, reminds those who came of their foundational story, which is God in the wilderness. God in the wilderness. Their foundational story was not kings, it was not temples, but God in the wilderness meeting God in the wilderness. He is asking those who come to hear him to reflect on the stories that they base their sense of who they are who they are as the people of God. And so for some, they are sons and daughters of Abraham. They don't need to worry. For others, they are descendants of Levi. For others, they are the priests of the temple. John is reminding them in this thin place, in this dangerous place, which unsettles them and makes them uncertain where all the kind of props that keep them safe and they don't have to question anything are removed what is the story that shapes who you are this advent we are asked what stories do we base our sense of being the people of God on what are our stories that we look back to Well, the theme for this week is peace. And so this week I invite you to take some time at the end of each day to give thanks for the ways God has brought peace and hope into your day and to reflect on the stories that might help you live peace and hope in the world. What are the stories that shape you? And I invite you to... Turn to your neighbours and pick one of those questions or any question you like and spend a couple of minutes thinking about what do you think we're being invited to repent of or what are we preparing for this Advent and Christmas or, well, do you have some other ideas about why God sent a Messiah? Have a conversation for a few minutes and then we will say a creed, I think.